I had to do years of research and to come to the point that I'm comfortable to say that I am queer and I am a Christian and I'm an Assyrian and I will own all three of those identities and I'm not going to let anyone take that away from me. Hello friends and welcome to episode 196 of the Assyrian Podcast. This is Steve and I'm so excited to bring this gem of an episode to the Assyrian community. Whether it's Linda George, Marawa, Patrick Bet David, Mariam Shamalta, Joe Snell, or fill in your favorite Assyrian, one of the things we pride ourselves in here at the Assyrian Podcast is not telling you what to think or how to think or what's right or what's wrong but instead bringing you stories and sharing experiences from Assyrians from all around the world. And today's episode will be no different. Six Assyrians from the LGBTQ plus community sat down for a panel interview where they shared some of their experiences within their own families and within our community. As you listen to this episode, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, what's your role in creating unity for the Assyrian community and the Assyrian world. As you listen to these testimonials, I want us to listen and ask, what could I be doing better? What could I be doing differently? Where is an organization that I'm a part of falling short in terms of loving and serving Assyrians from all walks of life? Being unified is one of the most important things Assyrians could be doing. And this episode will give us a great opportunity to be unified. I want to thank Matthew, our host of this episode, Andre, Chris, Rhoda, Yesh, Bernadette, for sharing openly and vulnerably and bravely. If you know someone who would benefit from hearing this episode, go ahead and send them a link and share it with them. Share it with friends and family members, and let's see what happens when we all listen and learn together. And now I would like you to meet a few representatives of our large Assyrian LGBTQ community. Hello, everyone. Shalom Alokhun. Welcome to a first for the Assyrian community and for the Assyrian podcast. My name is Matthew Jode, and I'm excited to be a guest host and thankful to have the opportunity to bring this content to you. Today with me, I have five Assyrians that will be answering questions about being Assyrian and a part of the LGBTQ community. Let's let's begin. Hi, everybody. My name is Andre. Hi, everyone. My name is Bernadette uh, Yagobian. I'm from Iran. I've been living in California for the last 23 years. My pronouns are she, her, and I am I identify culturally as Assyrian, Armenian, Iranian. Hi, I'm Chris Yonan. I live in Los Angeles. I'm 40 years old. Uh, I am a second generation Assyrian, but I am 100% Assyrian. Everyone, everyone everywhere is from the same cluster of villages in Ermia. I, I, my pronouns are he, they. I am a gay man, and uh, I'm happy to be here. My name is Rhoda Nazanin. I was born in Esfahan, Iran. I moved to Los Angeles in 93 and moved to St. Louis, Missouri last year in 2022. And um, I identify as queer, pronouns, she, they, and I'm excited to be here. 
Hi, uh, I guess I'll say my name in Assyrian. My name is Daniel Ishu Beit Matram. Uh, I don't use the legal last name because that's because of colonists. I, uh, I was born in London, grown up in California my whole life, but I live in New York. I am a comedian. I'm 38. I uh, use uh, he, him pronouns, and I identify as gay. And uh, yeah, that's me. Awesome. I'm so excited to have each and every one of you here. I know obviously there's more of us, but just a small group of us opening the door for many opportunities. And I'm thankful to have each and every one of you with me. So let's dive into the questions and the discussion because I'm dying to hear everyone's answers. So for the first question, something that I'm sure we've all come across with, whether it's over the over text or in person, but have you come out publicly or have you just came out public selectively to friends and family? This is Chris. I'm publicly out to everyone. I have been for many years, you know, both in my professional life and my personal life. This is Rhoda. I am out publicly to everyone and I came out maybe five years ago. Uh, yeah, so I go by Yesh. This is Daniel Ishu, I just go by Yesh. <laughs> um, I am publicly out. So I came out when I was 15. Actually, I didn't come out. My mom found out. Yeah, it was pretty wild. I, uh, thought I was in love with this guy when I was 15. Uh, we met on AOL and then she found out. So I'm actually grateful for that because then I didn't have to, like continue wondering. So yeah, I am out to everyone. It's fun. Andre. So my name is Andre and I came out as lesbian at 16 years old. Um, I told my mom, I was like, mom, I like girls. At first she thought it was a phase, but then went down the line and came out as transgender in my early 20s. I'm Bernadette, the last one. I, <laughs> I publicly... Yes, I would say that I came out. I think I'm I'm out publicly. It's not it's something that comes up for me um, whenever I, you know, like, are you dating anyone? Kind of questions. Um, it's not something like I have to put on my on my forehead. Like, I'm a right-handed person, um, and so relationships do matter. I value relationship, whether it's with family or friends. Um, so not being true to myself uh, is just not fair for me to build that relationship with them. So my for my friend to all my friends, I am out, and to my family, I my brother, my cousins, uh, recent circum family circumstance kind of forced me, not forced me, but encouraged me to come out to my mother. And and it's kind of been a roller coaster from there. Yeah, definitely could be a roller coaster, especially in a community like ours. Nothing goes unnoticed in our community. Very true. <laughs> Every- everything and everyone is known seen heard so there's a lot of a lot that goes to it but that's uh that's big step in any anything are we going to talk about how we call what we are in assyrian is that going to be covered and then we can we sure can i hate that that word i feel like we can get into that as we get into these questions i don't know about you yeah yeah I, I really want to know what major fears or anxiety 
um, contribute to your coming out journey? And second part of the question is, did it delay you coming out? And if it didn't, what delayed you from coming out? Some of you came out younger than others or some people. So what delayed you and what fears and anxiety contributed to that? For me, I think the biggest fear I had, I mean, I came out when I was 33, I want to say. I knew I was gay much, much younger than that, probably when I was 16, 17 years old. But my father was a pastor and my family was very involved in the Iranian church community. So the fear was mostly in our culture, reputation is everything and family reputation, last name, everything that associated with you and your family, people will talk about it. And so I I didn't want to ruin that for my parents, for my family, or, you know, I was already the black sheep because I functioned differently than the rest of my siblings. But I think the biggest fear also was disappointment from my parents. And at the same time, we are such a close-knit family. I was afraid that I would be casted out or disowned. And, you know, at a younger age, they have, our parents had more control over us to do those types of things. But as you get older, you know, you have control of your life sometimes still, I don't know, (laughs) some of us do. And so I had to get to a point where I was mentally, emotionally, physically, financially stable that if I did confirm rumors or come out and say, yes, I that I I wouldn't, you know, be stranded on the street or, um, you know, homeless or just screwed over pretty much because I wasn't sure what the reaction would be. And had I gone, uh, come out earlier, that was most likely the case that I would have been disowned. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of people, once they're at a financial stability, they are like, eh screw the rest let's just do it right because they're able to live on their own as you said and they're able to hold their head above water but sometimes that takes a bigger toll on you right I think for me I I wasn't so worried that my parents wouldn't like accept me or I, I wasn't so concerned about like stability in that way, which I'm grateful for. But uh, my parents were, my mom had a cousin who died of AIDS in the nineties and he was out to the, you know, to the family. Everyone knew he had a partner and they all were with him in the hospital at the end. And so I, I had gay friends in high school. So I, I knew that like gay people weren't necessarily as an idea, like a bad thing or a, um, a reason to be concerned for my parents accepting me, but they're very religious. And so there was always the church indoctrination of, oh, well, if you're gay, then you're a sinner and you're going to hell and blah, blah, blah. And I I didn't necessarily think that was correct, but when that's what you're being taught, it's very difficult to reconcile that for yourself, especially as a young child. And so I came out at 19. I came out pretty quickly to everybody all at once. But I, I definitely was concerned for many years afterwards about like, what do they actually think? Of, you know, I know that they accept me, but do they all think I'm gonna burn in hell? Or, or you know, they supported me outwardly, which I was always so grateful for. But it affected my own sort of self worth and self stability for many years in my twenties. Um, not necessarily feeling spiritually supported by my family, but I did, you know, sort of 
overcome that hurdle in terms of coming out at the beginning, just because socially it was a little more accepted in my family. Right. Was it easier? I mean, it's never easy, but having a gay cousin and your, you know, your parents and family already being exposed to it, did you find it easier or did you still have a hard time like saying it to them? I mean, it's a big, I mean, especially, you know, 20 years ago, it was just a bigger deal, I think, as well. I mean, the, the taboo around it was different. There was not as much of a conversation around gay, queer people coming out. I mean, we had the Ellen show, and that was, you know, sort of what I, and RuPaul, you know, supermodel, and that was my experience with gay people. So it was still difficult to, it made me nervous. There wasn't a, a template for it, really, in my life. But yeah, I wasn't necessarily, like, worried or scared. It was just anxiety you know generalized anxiety I right. Have, uh, <laughs> right yeah definitely and afterwards they were immediately accepting and uh there was no like icky transition period which i was grateful for like they were pretty much on board immediately that's really good, good. That's it's really a, good. a total blessing i'm so grateful yeah. i was very lucky it's so funny when i hear this is gonna be bad but when i hear like other people talk about their parents being supportive I'm like yeah of course but hearing another Assyrian having supportive parents I'm like that's so amazing I'm so happy for it right exactly absolutely when people tell me when people say oh your parents aren't gonna get mad well (laughs) (laughs) well I was just gonna say I think well also answer the question (laughs) when people say and I think in the community in in our Middle Eastern culture somebody says oh yeah I've been I was I came out my family supported me for me it's not so much uh, of a question like what did you do what you know what's the formula so that your Middle Eastern parents like what's the difference between mine and yours Uh, but to answer the question I grew up in Iran so you you already kind of know what that what that means (laughs) (laughs) with everything that's happening right now just for the basic human rights but growing up in Iran as Catholic and also being uh, my father was a singer and known in the Syrian community so uh, having to live the perfect life illustrating to people the perfect family from from the perfect frame and also growing up catholic and in iran you don't even know what gay is and um even the feelings that you had later on i recognize look back and i'm like oh that's what that was um and i didn't i couldn't label it there was no label it was like not even a basic sex ed so when i came here i came out to myself because i had to educate myself i even talk about psychology I I had a dream and I was like oh wait (laughs) like I like that feeling and so I went in exploring I I was in therapy and I couldn't even finish the sentence to my therapist uh, telling her why I'm there and did a lot of educational I spent a lot of time educating myself reading books um, like just and this was you know back in the I don't know early 2000 so and then accepting that I'm not going to go straight to hell. My fate has always been important to me. And I think that's something that people don't understand, thinking just just when you identify as queer, then you forgot God. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes comparing myself to my family, I'm like, I have more faith than you guys, because I put my faith into action. It's not just words. Yes. Right. So once I came out to myself, I 
then had to and accept myself with my family was the hardest because I'm looking at the family gathering and I'm like oh I can miss this and it's not it's so much of like I have so much unconditional love that I don't want to miss this but the unfair part was that they had a they do they have a limited or conditioned love for us because the minute they find out oh okay you're cut off and I think the fear and anxiety and what delayed it was my religious belief, thinking I'm going to go straight to hell, feeling isolated and dismissed by family members. Luckily, I moved out on my own for college, so I was financially supporting myself, but just I just wanted their love and acceptance. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here watching them doing other things that you know other people want to approve of but still accepting them for who they are so that's what delayed it but recently due to the recent family like in the beginning of COVID right at the beginning my parents divorced and just watching my dad easily walk away from his reputation they quote-unquote forced us to live the standards to live by I was like oh now you don't care and it was so much rage within me because it was like okay you don't care but I lived the perfect life for you Mm -hmm. forced to so then now you don't care so I was like okay well mom now it's just you and I (laughs) I want to rebuild this relationship but you got to know me and you know when we say we think mothers don't know everything well I was proven wrong mothers (laughs) At one point, I was like, wait, in a conversation, I kept telling him, like, okay, I need you to heal, but I do have to tell you something. And she kept saying, like, what is it? I'm like, no, I need you to heal. <laughs> like, you, you need to go through your own process. I don't want to put this on you. And then she was just like, I think I kind of know what you want to talk about. And I was like, okay, well, that thing you want, you're thinking, that's exactly it. And we never said it. <laughs> confirmed. And it just kind of went from there. It's still an elephant in the room, but I, it was important for me. If I want to have a true authentic relationship with my family, those that I choose to to label as family, whether they're friends or blood family, I need to be myself. And rebuilding my relationship with my mom was very important to me because in general, I don't like to lie and having to lie about yourself, it's, it's a burden. And so for me, I... I regret it not having that conversation sooner because I did miss years of having that authentic organic relationship with her, but it's still never too late. So I did came out to my mom in my thirties, but in general, I think those two things, family and religious were the hardest part for me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to stop talking. Now. <laughs> I love it. I guess I feel like everybody knows so specific so far what the things were, but for me, I think it was just a really great sense of shame. I feel like I've always carried shame from a very young age. I'm sure it's very specific to like our lineage and the way we live in a communal environment. It's like both a weapon and a good thing, but it just always felt shameful. And I, I guess for me, like, I'll be completely honest. I, I don't know if it was like just religion or if it was like losing love or not living up to people's standards. But like, I just felt like it was perverse. Like it was very innately uh, disgusting. And that's how I felt. And so I couldn't even think of coming out before I could move through that sort of feeling. A lot of it was also the lineage of my father. So my dad in our church is of the lineage like of the what we call mama. So he's like my great uh, uncle. 
And so that line is like, it ends with me uh, because I'm the first born son of the firstborn son. And so my whole life growing up, they were like, you're going to be in clergy. You're going to be in clergy. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. So um, yeah, so I I don't know. It's, it's, I just felt an overall sense of, of just shame, uh, bringing shame to my family, shame to my lineage, and just myself. I don't know if it was about going to hell, because from a very early age, I kind of started to dissociate from church, because there was so much pressure and so much, like, incongruency that like I was like this logically is not making sense anymore like there's something in a book then there's something you say and then the book itself contradicts itself so like what's real and then I was like this is too hard to think about I'm done with this but uh I would just say it was a a great sense of shame and then I didn't really choose to come out I came out uh which I'm so grateful for that it happened and all my fears came true. My parents just turned away from me and they, at least I got to stay home and they took care of me. You know, they took care of my health and whatever, but their love turned off and I felt very, very disgusting. And I did not know how to be gay because I grew up in Turlock and I just kind of like turn to meeting people and going out with them, people who are like 30, 31, 35. And in that, when I truly believe to this day, I still have anger over it. It's been over 20 years that my parents should have been there for me. They didn't understand what to do. All I wanted to do was stop feeling that way, that like great sense of shame. And I remember like crying to my parents, why don't you love me? It's like to this day, they don't know how. They, I just, I mean, we're distant and it's not terrible. I just accepted it. You know what I mean? It's like, I am enough as a person today. I know that sounds really like woo woo, but I mean, just through my experiences, I've learned I'm enough. You know what I mean? I have a relationship with one of my sisters and with my parents. I like have a day on the calendar that's like a special day and I call them and I tell them, you know, I just update them and I say I love them or whatever. And then that's kind of like, that's as far as I can go. And that's where we meet. I know it sounds sad, but actually it's really good because I've grown up and learned that I'm my own parent. And all those things that I went through, I had to go through. Uh, And I'm grateful that I did. I'm not going to close the door on it. But I didn't break. You know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine what other kids might go through who will break. You know, and I would never want that for them. But, uh, yeah, that's that's that. I just want to say something for you, Yash, um, is that I think it's completely okay to have those boundaries with our parents, whoever it might be. I know it's hard in our culture, in our, in the Syrian community, especially, it's like, how dare you, you know, put a boundary with your parents. And so that's a hard lesson that I had to learn. And um, so I, I commend you for that, for looking out for yourself and taking care of yourself. Thank you. 
Yeah, I learned a very important concept in therapy, radical acceptance. It's the only yeah. way I could overcome that built-in feeling of like, I'm doing wrong. And yeah, that's the therapy. first, I feel like that's the first step, right? Absolutely. Is, um, well, the first step is coming out and the second step is putting yourself first. Like as Bernadette said, that they'll, they love you unconditionally but when the moment comes they'll love you conditionally i mean and it's your choice whether how um you want to put yourself first and and take a strive and you know take a chance i guess i should say like for me it was different like my mom is my backbone my mom's more modernized than my dad um my mom and my dad are divorced so it was kind of harder on me coming out to my dad I came out to him as trans and didn't even get the chance to like be like okay you know let me get to know my son and like transition with me my mom 100% from the beginning of my transition till now has been my backbone so it's kind of different hearing everybody else's stories and like saying oh my mom and my dad stopped talking to me and it's just like sitting back and realizing like wow I have one parent that supports me and one parent that doesn't so having that one support from a parent it means a lot my fear was losing a loved one because that I'm trans and that was my grandma so it delayed me coming out so she passed away almost two years ago and it delayed my whole transition from top surgery to starting tea everything and I regret it not coming out because my grandma gave me that unconditional love that I needed and I knew if she was here she would have told like said why didn't you come out sooner I would have never loved you less or I wouldn't loved you more I would still love you you're still my grandson um where recently I did get top surgery and that was still another big thing for me being a Syrian and a trans man and getting surgery was Again, uncomfortable because of the hateful comments I have received by the Assyrian community, but I also didn't let that like break me. I am who I am and I'm happy for who I am and I'm living my best life. Has like my mom has taught me, don't live for others because it's just gonna bring you down. So at this point I like kind of brushed all the negative comments and I'm just happy to be who I am, like who I truly am. That's big. I mean having top surgery I can only imagine a the relief um the anxiety uh yeah and having I'm sure having your mom right by your side you know taking you to the appointments and driving you and taking care of you um is like a huge relief I mean obviously on the other end your father's not involved and and it's something like okay well but I feel like you're in a, in a way, maybe your mom's giving both end supports for you, so. Yeah, she's, like, kind of, bad, like, holding up his end. Like, I haven't talked to my dad in almost, going to be two years. Like, he'll try and reach out, but it's, like, I'm not going to force you to talk to me. If you're uncomfortable talking to me and you don't want any relationship with me, I don't want to force that. You know, down the line, he comes to, like, my, like open mind. Like, you know, I want to get to know you as my son, as my child. I'll be 100% for that. He's still my dad at the end of the day, and, and I will always love my dad, no matter what. Mm -hmm. 
you know, what's going on between me and him, he's still my father and I will love him until the day I die. Yeah, I, I feel the same way too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, yes. I was just going to say, like, I feel like I hate talking about that part of my story of coming out uh, the way that I have with my family, like distance or whatever. But uh, I do love my parents. I love them no matter what. I love them. You know, they did take care of me and I'm grateful for that. They could have done a better job, but it's a job that they did. I accept their faults and I love them because I had to like make sort of like, I had to ask myself, am I going to continue to hate them and be angry at them? Because one day they'll die. How will I feel? And I was like, I don't want to feel that feeling because one part of me said, I'm going to feel uh, like shitty. And then another part of me felt relief. And I don't like, that's what worried me more feeling relief that they're dead. You know, that was like, whoa, you know, I don't think I hate them that much. I think I'm angry at them and I have to work through that. So long story short, like, yeah, I, I love my parents too. You know, I just learned that, you know, there's a way that we communicate our love. All righty. Another question I had, I mean, we've talked and discussed a lot of family. Obviously, they're going to take a little more negative the negative way than positive. What is everyone's experience like generally being queer in the Syrian community? Like what was their like, I don't know, maybe some of you aren't involved in the Syrian community and more of you are, um, or maybe when you make your guest star appearance in the Syrian community for like a New Year's party or Hebnisen or whatever it may be, like maybe you go once in a while, maybe you go because you're like, okay, I need to pay my respect to Syrians. Uh, what is your experience? Uh, I just right off the bat, this like, this came to me as like, in our culture, at least this was my experience, Assyrians feel that they can revoke your identity from you. They have the, like identity is privilege that they bestow upon you. And that I had to grapple with for so many years for not feeling Assyrian. Like it was already enough that I grew up in this country and they had their weird in America and they had their weird stuff where they were like, we brought you here, you're Assyrian. And then Americans were like, whatever. And then 9-11 happened and I was like at the tail end of high school. Uh, but I will just say like my very first experience was you're no longer Assyrian. They took that away from me. And that's so important to me. And uh, so then I learned to weaponize my knowledge and I could subjugate their bullshit by using knowledge against them. Namely, and this is so oddly specific, I'm really good with language and math. So I just learned how to read Assyrian like really well and how to read old Assyrian and anytime they'd open their mouths, it'd be like, you're saying that wrong. You've actually used a loan word from another language. If you're the one who's going to tell me I'm not doing this right, you're not even saying the right word. This is the right word or whatever. Just so much anger. Uh, it took me so many years to figure out that being a Syrian, I was always a Syrian. Even through the time that I thought I wasn't, it was just like a spell. Like for anyone out there who feels like they're no longer a Syrian or they have to grapple with their with not being a Syrian enough just because of the no 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 like number one I'm a Syrian and then number two 
I'm also a gay. You know what I mean? Like they're both the same thing, but like my Assyrianness never goes away. It's just as strong as like Oriakos who just got here from like Syria. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now I, I just don't go back. I don't, I very, very, very infrequently go back. Who I think is cool is this new wave of Assyrians that I'm that I'm finding out about, like in the past maybe six or seven years, who I find through social media. And they're straight or they're not queer or they're whatever, or they're so many different things. And like, they're about sharing and maintaining culture. And they're about keeping knowledge of our culture pre-Christianity, which is more than what we've been for the past thousand or whatever years. And I think that's so cool. And that's how I kind of like rebuild and strengthen my identity. That's like kind of my biggest sort of like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I would love to be more involved. I think I love being Assyrian and I always had to have you noticed whenever you say Assyrian Siri suddenly an iPhone shows up yes oh my god Siri shows up I'm like I didn't call you I say (laughs) but anyway robots know who we are right there you go I always whenever people are like what there aren't they taboo that we're like in bible and I was like or like, what is Assyrian? I'm like, it's uh, it's like, or I don't know, I say something like this, the language Jesus spoke. I said, that's how old we are. And yeah, but something about, <laughs> I love my culture. I love the traditions. I love the, the, you know, the history. But when I, but sometimes I ask myself, I'm like, do I like the the people, their, their character? <laughs> like the, the Assyrian people, the Armenian people, the Persians. I love celebrating Nowruz. I love celebrating the Assyrian New Year, all of the things that I am part of. But it's like sometimes when you go to those events and then you see the people and it's like a whole different thing. So for me, I would love to be involved. And when with Instagram during COVID time, I was like, there has to be a page on Instagram. So I started like putting LGBT Assyrians and I follow, I found a few and the one that I learned this podcast through, I follow that. And it's, and I think that's as close as I can get. I'm a therapist. So I would love to even like create, I always thought like, it would be cool to create a Assyrian LGBT support group but I'm like where do I go who do I connect to there are no resources or that at least that I know of and it's not like we're out there we're proud and you know and so yeah sorry I was just thinking about the question you asked if I answered it but yeah so I would love to be part of it but it's the minute I feel like the minute I put my foot in Turlock I wear a mask and I'm somebody else Turlock or like even Assyrian events in Los Angeles, I would love to be part of it, but I just can't be myself. And I don't always feel like, feel comfortable, feel that have the mental capacity to wear a mask all the time. It's exhausting, especially when you're struggling yourself with depression, anxiety, this, that. And I'm like, no, I'm good. So like I said, I would love to be part of it, but I think they're, they're kind of pushing us away. And then they're like, where are the young generations? Uh, well, in an involuntary closet (laughs) i i like how you talk i'm sorry i just want to say like i it's so cool that you said the mask or like i've heard like the shield like when i go into those worlds those spaces i feel like i have 
a very heavy like armor on and when they ask me anything I'm just like I can't move I feel like a robot why would anybody want that you know what I yeah, mean? it's like the first question I ask you are you married where's your husband I, I, I went to this is not a lie I went to a wedding and I met some friends that I grew up with and I didn't know they were going to be in the wedding and there's an empty chair next to me I'm excited to see my friend who I haven't seen for a long time and I'm like how are you doing and immediately it's like oh do you have a husband like is he sitting there and I was like what what <laughs> like can't I just just be happy to see me like so it's you know yeah so it's just too much <laughs> That's like, I feel like, sorry to interrupt, but that's like, I mean, when they ask like, where's your wife? Where's your husband? Do you have kids? But like, once you like have like hit one milestone in your life, they're like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? But they don't take the time and ask you like, you know, is there something new in life? What's exciting you? Like what's keeping you happy? What, you know, what's keeping you busy? Like, I feel like those are some more reasonable questions rather than Where's your husband? When are the kids coming? When you graduate, they're like, okay, when's when when's your wedding? And then when you get married, they're like, when's your when, when are you having kids? You have your first kid, they're like, when you're having your second kid. It's like a train of, you know, wanting more. This they have this like written book of like, okay, once my child does this, they must do this, and do this, and this, and this. So that sort of kind of throws me off too, you know? Yeah, I feel like our community does a wonderful job setting unrealistic expectations for all of us and and if we don't hit that or then we're just we're failures or we're behind or something is wrong with us but I think the funniest thing is you know when I have come out and I'm like oh yeah I'm married to a woman her name is you know Sarah all those questions about children and all that goes out the window because it's like can't have kids but it's like Welcome to 2023. It's still possible. But I think it's so frustrating because it's like, it takes away from what we want, where where we can focus on what we want to do with our lives, whether it's we want to get three masters or, you know, get married and have kids, whatever it is, you know, and we have to put so much value in what our community, which they're not there for us when we're crying and struggling. They're not paying our bills. They're not there holding our hands. But they're there to, you know, judge where you are in your life and how old were you when you got there. And so, and this is the world that we grow up in, right? At least that's how I experienced it. Not only was I in the Assyrian community, but I was also in the Iranian community. My father was a pastor of two Iranian churches. And as a pastor's kid, everybody's eyes are on you. Like, what are you doing next? Where are you going to school? What are you studying? When are you getting married? All that. And I don't know how I got away with being single for as long as I was, like without, you know, hearing it. I think I just kind of shut things down where I was like, I'm focusing on my studies. I'm focusing on my church ministry or a missions trip that I was working on, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just my personality. I've always been very out loud and spoken about who I am, what I want to do. People didn't really put that pressure on me, but it doesn't mean I didn't feel it from the rest of the family. I think when I hit, when I was about to hit 30 was when the pressure was really on. And that was exactly when I was just like, I need to do something about this. I I can't be in the closet anymore. Can't stop lying to I I just, I don't want to lie to myself, let alone pretend to be somebody that I'm not in God's eyes. 
God knows the truth. He knows who I am. What, what am I, you know, I need to figure out, find the strength to come out and do it the right way or whatever. There is no right way, but just be real about myself. And I think after coming out, what the interesting part was, I lost a lot of friends. I, a lot of people were just like, I'm sorry, I can't associate with you anymore. And you just kind of see people dropping like flies. It's like you coming out. Have you guys ever seen those um, salt guns that kill flies? That's what it was. Like I came out like pew and like all these flies dropped. And it was heartbreaking because it was people who were like friends with me since we were kids. People who I've just, you know, we would take vacations together and spend time together and they just drop. And it's, it was very discouraging. It was very heartbreaking for me. And now being queer and out and about, and, you know, I, I feel bad for my mom. My dad passed away when I was 20 years old. So he didn't live to witness any of this stuff, but I just feel really bad for my mom. Cause my mom wants nothing but the best for her kids. She's never been like, Oh, I don't like you. I don't, you know, I hate you. I hate this. She's just been concerned about me making sure that I'm happy and I'm healthy. But the problem is in the Syrian community, all the gossiping that happens, all the fetchfetchta, you know, like chirping behind our backs, it's like, that's what destroyed my mom. That's what made things very difficult for her was people are talking about my daughter, but I love my daughter so much, you know, and it, it breaks her heart to see that, or they start talking about her. And it's the most discouraging and this functional thing about our community that it's like we we struggle to support one another instead of you know building each other up we're, we can be very good at bringing people down if we don't agree on something and it, it, it hurt it hurt a lot I saw how it tore up my mom for years you know and now she's gone to the point where she's just like it's up to them whatever they think you know it's up to them and God it's up to you and your God what you want to do and so it's just been it was very discouraging and unfortunately you know I, Bernadette is my one of my very closest Assyrian friends I'm glad that we have each other but it's not any bigger than that maybe a handful of Assyrians that I can call friends and and that's a bummer because I take pride in who I am and I want to be able to connect and learn the language and continue to speak it and live it but I it got so bad that I had to move out of Los Angeles because it was mentally and emotionally just exhausting just like Bernadette said like putting that mask on every time you go pretending to be I don't know I can't even be feminine if I wanted to because I I look very masculine you know it was just it's it's a lot uh, I I, I hope and pray that for the next generations coming up that we can offer a, a community of acceptance for them within the Assyrian community. I think mean, we need that more than anything. That's why I'm so glad that we did this podcast to be able to get that out there. I think that was the main kind of reason why I really wanted this to come together. Not because I love my voice and I want to hear it being recorded. Um, I think that was probably the last reason. But the main reason is there's so even older generation, my generation and new generation, there's so many gays that click and they're lost. And it just 
maybe we'll take one episode or one person. I mean, there's six of us, and I'm sure that someone will reach out to one of us six that, you know, relates to them. Maybe some people relate to some others than, than another, but I feel like that's the main reason why I kind of wanted to get going with this, and I'm glad that we're doing it because it's something that is refreshing and eye-opening for everyone. When they listen to it, they realize that we're just normal people. <laughs> there, There's a lot of like Instagram accounts and like stuff with LGBTQ plus uh, Assyrians, Chaldeans, and what do they call Suryoyo, like the, the Western uh, Assyrians all over the world. And there's such a cool movement with us, especially queers bridging those three communities so the straighties are all breaking it apart but us we're like bring it together baby so give me up let's be a part of that movement you know what i mean it's interesting hearing you all speak because you know growing up in chicago I grew up in like white suburbs and most of my aunts and uncles were white. So none of my cousins were fully Assyrian. So my parents didn't speak Assyrian. They could understand it, but they couldn't speak it. And so, my, you know, my experience of the Assyrian community growing up was my family. And, but you know, it was a large community of, of cousins, but it was all related family. And it, so it was more or less very loving and supportive. And I mean, I was, I was very fortunate that it was very loving and supportive and, and, wasn't super adversarial. But when I moved to LA, I have some cousins in Ventura who came from Iran, you know, in their teens, I think, and then their parents are maybe 60s, 70. So they, you know, they speak Farsi at home, they speak Assyrian at home, I go over there, they, they invite me over all the time. And I go and they started taking, there are kids my age, they started taking me out to, you know, there was like an Assyrian art show, there's some artist, um, they were like, do you want to come? And I was like, sure, that sounds like so much fun. I'm going to connect with my Assyrian roots and my Assyrian community. And no one knew that I was gay. No one seemed to really care. But I didn't also connect with them enough because they were just like very rude and snooty and they wouldn't speak to me because I didn't speak Assyrian. I remember going to the grocery store and because I couldn't ask for the ingredients in Armenian, they wouldn't help me. And I was like this is crazy. Like, I'm obviously from your part of the world and I'm in your store looking for these ingredients that only we use. Why are you being so rude? And I was very fortunate that it was never something related to my, like, identity or my sexuality, but it certainly made me feel very American. You know, I had been raised feeling very proud of my Assyrianness. I'm 100% Assyrian and I always, we espouse the Assyrian nation to all of the white people in Chicago. Everyone knows the kufta and the stuff, but it was just interesting to then arrive in LA and feel very American. But that said, my, the Iranian contingent of the family was always super supportive of me being gay. Uh, I brought my partner, my ex, <laughs> whoop, uh, to their house many times for uh, meals and stuff. They, they always have, I always have an open invitation to bring who I'm dating there. So I'm I'm very grateful for that. And they're, you know, from over in Iran. So I'm I'm lucky that they are not part of the larger community in LA that I sense is a thing. Like hearing Rhoda's discussion about her experience in LA was so sad to me. But I I recognize it. You know, I, I'm not a part of the community, so I don't 
feel that energy, but it makes me sad as well that I'm not because there is such a huge population in LA and in in California in general. And it would be so lovely if I could connect to that in a way. And I I don't particularly feel um, that I have an in and not because of my sexuality again, but just because I'm a little too American. And and it's just interesting that that culture of, of gossip and we're better than you and my cut. So I don't know if this is relevant, but my cousins introduced me to a concept. I think it's a Persian or an Iranian thing as opposed to an Assyrian, but there was a word where if you're both going to the door, one person says, no, you go. And then the other person says, no, you go, no, no, you go. And then someone finally says, okay, I'll go. And then the other person says, how could you go first? That's so rude. And it's like, what? Like, right. There's a word for that. (laughs) It's fascinating. Like, like schadenfreude, like those words and cultures that have cultural context that I would never have thought of in English because they, you know, it doesn't exist as a concept. So yeah, that's my experience with the Assyrian community. Oh, like, is it, Iba, that like embarrassment? Uh-huh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But in Farsi... I love our, I love our accents. I know, it's so different. Like, I'm, because I'm Iraq, I'm like, Ayba. You're like, Ayba? Ayba. <laughs> well, what Chris was saying, I think what he's referring to is Tarof in Farsi, oh. in the Persian culture that exists. And I mean, it, it has spilled over to Assyrians who were born and raised in Iran as well. But I wanted to clarify one thing is that not the entire community has been this way. I found only the Christian or Catholic or, you know, the very religious ones are more, they don't agree or they give us a hard time about it or they look at us funny. And that goes, it goes the same with Assyrian, Iranian, Armenian, the three that I have, have had my share of experience with, but it has been mostly the religious core groups. Yeah, 100%. I mean, my negative, like, experience being trans and in the Assyrian community was, you know, going to church. I got kicked out of a church because I was trans. And it's like, how can you kick me out of a church, like the house of God? And you're not supposed to judge one another. You're supposed to love one another. And that's where it hit me. It, was, it broke my heart. You know, getting pushed away for, from the house of God where, you know, everybody's loved and accepted. But when it comes to Assyrians, it's like, no, you shouldn't be allowed here you're not a part of us and it's like how can you push someone like push someone away from that but it's like with my group of friends it's like they're so open with me and they're like they support me and I'm so grateful for that and you know I think about it and it's I feel like it's the more older generation where they're so closed-minded to them these guys like the newer generation they're so open-minded to you know loving everybody accepting everybody and it just hurts, you know, getting pushed away from a church where you, you know, feel like you're safe, you're loved, you're an accepting, but you get pushed away from that. I'm going to jump in here because bringing up the church as a pastor's kid, I was a pastor myself for 10 years while I was in the closet. And throughout the entire time, I was just like trying to suppress those feelings. You know, I'm not gay. I'm just going to remain celibate, you know, and we're not going to go down this path. I even tried. I tried dating men. It was just not my thing. But when I left the church, 
seeing how the church members completely disconnected with me and didn't want anything to do with me, right? It was very heartbreaking because I'm like, I'm, I'm still a Christian. I don't understand what's, what's wrong here. Like, just because I'm gay doesn't take away my faith and what I believe in, you know? And the biggest mistake people made with me was that I studied theology. I understand the Bible very well, but now I see it from a different perspective. And my eyes have been open. You know what I mean? So my favorite thing is when people want to get into discussions about the Bible with me and tell me what things are. And I love asking questions and helping them to understand things. And one of the things that I had to come to terms with that just because the church treated me this way, it doesn't mean that that's how God feels. Church has been a misrepresentation of who God is. And that was a big thing for me to understand because we put so much value in the church and and this is the body of Christ. No, the body of Christ doesn't do things like this because you know it it oozes out the love of Christ, right? Doesn't matter who you are. And so what has been interesting in this walk, like in this journey with people who they're not even queer, but they've just been hurt by the church. And what sucks for us is that we are, we're just living our truth and we're being, you know, pushed out or hated or disconnected with, but God is not at fault for what has happened or for this mistreatment. And so I've just kind of been using that experience in all of my walks to let folks know who have been hurt by the church that listen the church messed up but don't blame god god had nothing to do with that fortunately as a group of people who don't understand his the fullness of his love so i just it hurts my heart so much when individuals like yourself andre you know being treated the way that you have been at the church being kicked out that just blows my mind I mean, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Yeah, I mean, it happened. You know, at the end of the day, it, you know, God still loves me. He made me in his vision and how he sees me. So it doesn't bug me anymore as much as it did in the beginning. Because like I said, I know at the end of the day, God still loves me. And I'm not going to change who I am because he made me how he sees me. And that's one thing I will not like regret and everybody's always asking do you like is it a mistake did god make a mistake no i don't question that god didn't make a mistake he knew exactly how my life and how my transition was going to go it was already written and like i said i don't regret one inch of it and you shouldn't i agree i think that's where i don't even get into those conversations with them like i used to be like how could you think that god it would want uh, a world with one kind of flower, like a garden with one kind of flower. Like mm-hmm. God is going to make a world of diverse flowers mm-hmm. because like that's his garden. It doesn't matter because what's inside of them is hate, not logic, not a, not a seeking of truth. I think that's what it, I just, I don't get into those converts. Like it's not worth it to me. I just tell them, no, I'm not Christian. I don't practice. I'm not Christian. And that's where I, I had to come with my whole whatever. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It sucks. Yeah. yeah, of course. It's hard. But I, I was going to say, I, I was a Sunday school teacher in New York. Um, I was 30 at a re, re, uh, liberal Presbyterian church. And I we were talking as a community of teachers um, about our 
holiday plans. And I was going to my partners um, at the time in DC. And when I got back from Christmas, they told me I could no longer be teaching and I had to resign from ushering and being a volunteer there. So, I mean, the religious sort of point of view of all of that is, yeah, much larger than just the Assyrian community. It's every, it's all of the kind of old school religious thoughts that I think still sort of have a prejudice against the gay community, the LGBT plus. But I, like Andre, I think being told that you're somehow not good enough is actually kind of a liberating and and important challenge because it forces you to say, oh no, am I good? Do I think I'm good enough? Am I worthy? You know, am I, if, if the, the institution that's supposed to be validating your soul is telling you it's not good, but you know it's good, you got to figure that out for yourself. And so I'm I'm super grateful that that happened to me. I was a religion minor in college. And so I, I had a sort of world religions background and my study of religion and spirituality at large changed drastically after that, because I, I knew that that was total bullshit and I needed to make sure that I understood why, and I needed to redefine my relationship to the divine and to the universe and to spirit, my own spirituality. It was very challenging, of course, but I'm so grateful that I did it because now I'm very much sort of liberated and free from the expectations of others in that way. I go home and, you know, the Christmas prayers and all of that stuff. And I'm just sort of like, I, whenever it's my turn to pray, I always just sort of remove proper nouns from the prayer, Jesus, or I remove those types of proper nouns. And I, if it's Easter, then we're talking about the, the death of old behaviors and the resurrection of more productive ones for your life. So you can be a more joyful, loving human being. I love I, that. I identify with all of you in the room, so. Yeah. yeah, you're right, Chris. Like it's it's yeah, of course, it's like a type of adversity. If if that if that's a question you ask yourself, Andre, like, am I good enough? And you're trying to find it, shortcut to the answer is you're more than good enough. So however you're gonna get there, get there. But hurry up, because you're more than good enough. Another thing is like I, I always try to just reflect and on like what it means to be a part of the church or whatever and what that meant for me. And again, it came back to identity for me because Assyrians our like if you step back from all the whatever like how we govern ourselves is that we are a theocratic government which means the the religious heads of our church are also the political heads of our church and it's hard to think about or like when I kind of realized I was like that's why it feels so weird for me to not be a part of the church and not feel whole or Assyrian it's because the political body, the thing that makes us who we are, that tells us this is our culture, this is our polity, is also the church. So when you're divorced from the church, it's yet again another knock on how you're not enough. You're not a Syrian. So in my own journey, obviously, because I'm not a part of the church, I had to refine my connection with God. And I do have one. And that's always in me because God put that in there. And I can find it however God wants me to find it. And for me, he didn't want me to find it in the Assyrian church because he knew I would gain more knowledge on this journey. And it truly is a gift when someone says no to you because then you can like jump over that no and then you see more than them. And I am so grateful that they said no to me. I don't think they're bad. I just think that it's a gift when someone puts like a no 
Also, I have other views on the way we run ourselves politically, but that's kind of separate. <laughs> I'm done. That's a different podcast. <laughs> Obviously, with coming out and as we ask, like being in the Assyrian community or even not being in it or trying to be more involved and not being able to, there's a lot of challenging experiences that we've all come across um, whether we want it or not maybe some have more challenging experiences than others but my question really is if you had a challenging experience um, that was tied to accepting your sexuality what was it and why do you think it was the cause of it I think the greatest challenge for me in the whole process was exactly what we were just talking about which is just the the church aspect of it and I mean, I won't really, I don't need to go further into that because we sort of, I just mentioned it. That was by far to me the hardest like self growth process through coming out and, and loving myself fully as a gay man or as a queer person, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, yes, I think the core of it for me, my experience was family and faith, but what it led to was not feeling like I belong on this earth. Like I didn't have a place that I felt like I didn't belong in my family. I didn't have a place in the church, which was my community. Everybody who looked at me was just kind of like, hmm, what's wrong with her? You know, it got to a point oof, for me, I mean, trigger warning in 2017, where I just was like, there is no reason why I'm still alive. Why am I even walking this on this planet? I'm not wanted, I'm not accepted. If I if I come out and you know remain as a queer person and live it, then people are gonna hate me and shame me and judge me and all that. And I, I don't have a place to belong. But if I'm pretending to be straight and remain celibate, then I'm lying to myself and I'm lying to God. So either way, I am a sinner. As a, according to the church, I'm as a gay person, I am a sinner. And if I lie, I'm a sinner. So what what's the answer here? And so it got to a point where I, I remember this. I had a really rough night and I got up in the morning, took a shower. And while I was taking the shower, I said, today is a good day to die. And I that going into details. I attempted and failed. And um, I said, you know what? I'm a person who believes that prayer changes people and it can heal and it can do marvelous things. So I'm going to take this praying to gay away very seriously um, because my family put some pressure on me to speak to my pastor at the time, you know, seek help and counseling. And I was told you're sick. Something's wrong with you. This is not normal. I said, okay, fine. I, I don't trust. I don't want to be gay. <laughs> this is really difficult. And so I reached out to my pastor at the time and I basically went through conversion therapy at the age of 33. And it was the worst six months of my life where I felt disgusted and horrible and had to surface every bad deed of my life to this person. And I was prayed to as if I was having a demon casted out of me. And there, I've never felt so low as a, as a human. And um, after that, I just said, okay, I committed to, you know, praying and praying all of this away. Nothing happened. Therefore, forget it. I'm just going to explore this person 
live my truth every single day and go move forward. But it didn't mean that the pain went away. I don't, I mean, I don't know if anyone's dealt with um, depression and like severe depression and suicidal thoughts. It was just like, there was so much pain inside that you, I'd find myself, you know, I don't want to feel this pain anymore. So let me feel some physical pain. So I would cut my arms or I would cut my leg or whatever. And it wasn't until my best friend who is not a Syrian, who's not Christian, she just listened. She just listened and said, I'm here. Just try to live for me at least. I need you and you need me. So we're going to do this together. And so with her help, I was able to kind of find my way back. But the trauma from hearing those things and living through them, it's still there. And, you know, obviously Bernadette as a therapist, she knows it takes time to work through all of these things and something can easily trigger it. And so it makes it extremely difficult to, as a human being, to just live and to survive. What people don't understand is that those looks the comments, the gossiping, the side comments or the prayers or whatever are damning and damaging for our entire lives. We have to live with that. They don't have to think about it again. We have, we are reminded. And so I, I, I mean, I, it was hard. It was hard and it made it extremely challenging to accept who I was. And, and we put a lot of weight in what people think, unfortunately. So I'm just, I'm just glad to have been able to make it out because I know not a lot of people can or have. And so that's why my life goal has been to be that lending hand, anyone. I've had multiple people reach out to me and have these conversations. I didn't know you were gay. You know, I ran for Congress in 2022 and it really opened me up and put me in the platform. And a lot of people started reaching out. Assyrian, non-Assyrian, Middle Eastern, non-Middle Eastern, but just, I, they're like, oh, you get it. I've been through it too. And so it just sucks. It really sucks that we had to get to that point and have to live through these things and hear these things. And so, but I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful to have made it through. Yeah, I could totally relate to that 100%. Um, I felt like, you know, coming out as trans, I wasn't gonna be what everybody expected me to be. Like in the eyes of our community, I feel like they're always gonna see me as a girl. I wasn't gonna be able to see myself for myself. You know, I did hit depression. I attempted a lot, like multiple times from 16 till now. You know, those thoughts have hit me, but it's like, why, why should I end my happiness or somebody else's happiness? Why should I lie to myself so someone else can be happy? I should live my life how I want to live it, to how I see myself. It shouldn't matter how other people see me. You know, those who are in my corner see me for me. And my best friend, who's also a part of the like LGBTQ community, was the one reason why I'm still alive today. She pushed me to be where I'm at right now. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here. I, because it's so hard. Nobody sees what trans people go through. It's a mental, like mental process, physical, emotional. It's like, we're going through a whole life change and nobody sees the, like the other side of it, the mental part of it. 
and it, it hurts. It really does hurt to where, and sometimes I think I don't belong here. But, you know, I've sat and I thought to myself, you know what, I'm not going to let negativity bring down my happiness. So it's like I fight every, every day of my life to make sure I'm happy and not care what other people think about me. But yeah, it is very hard, especially being trans and Assyrian. It's so hard because they don't look at you as a man or a woman. They look at you as you were before. And it, it sucks. It really sucks, especially when it comes to, you know, being accepted or, you know, finding love within our community. It's hard. It's so hard and it hurts because, you know, yeah, I would love to marry an Assyrian woman, but, you know, there's consequences to that. It's like, is it ever going to happen? Will I ever be able to share my culture with somebody who shares the exact same culture? Or do I have to share it with somebody else? and hope they accept it and not be like, oh, what's this, what's that, you know, question it. But that's one thing I struggle with every day is, you know, being able to have a relationship with an Assyrian woman. But if it's meant to happen, it's meant to happen. If not, you know, God has a different path for me is how I see it. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And I, I think one thing that I'd love to address is also the stigma behind mental health and therapy or being on antidepressants and stuff. That was something that I had, that was the only thing that was gonna help me get through all of this, right? And it's like, not only am I gay, <laughs> I'm also dealing with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. And it's like, oh, well, we'll just pray about it. It's like, no, 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 that's, that's not gonna fix it. Can we just like address the problem here where it's like therapy is absolutely necessary. It, there's medications absolutely necessary and I've been such a big ad advocate for that within my own family you know unfortunately my brother went through a really really difficult divorce and I saw him crumbling I said bro can I suggest something therapy you know um, and I think we need to as much as we're talking about the LGBTQ um, community and the acceptance of it I think part of that also is mental health treatment and all of that that it's it needs to be okay it should not be a taboo anymore because like like andre said it's like we find ourselves like we don't belong there's no one that we can turn to and so um it, it just makes you feel so alone and then we have to you know we pay for a therapist to listen to our problems <laughs> but i think when we bring up depression and anxiety and therapy and for some antidepressants or whatever it may be i think parents or the Syrian community like they get scared like oh wow they're sick not sick as in like mental health but more like Maria like like an actual illness like a cold or something that it could go away or you're just overreacting or your stomach hurts because you ate too much candy I feel like that's what some parents see it as like they don't see it as something that sticks with you and it takes so many steps to get rid of like to to get you on the right track and that's kind of where I've struggled with that and I think a lot of people struggle with that is explaining to people that yeah your life is okay yeah you live under a roof you eat great food and you know you travel but deep down there's other things that are bothering you and concerning you that take a lot of time and process to 
get to a place where you feel stable mentally. <laughs> Absolutely. I think Bernadette can talk more about <laughs> the importance of that. Well, I remember telling my dad one time, I was like, dad, it'll be good for you to go to therapy. And then he was like, I was like, well, um, why you think I'm crazy? You know, so um, that's the you know understanding of mental health. And then I was like, um, but it was just like, you know, it's like at first I want to be a lawyer. Oh, that that's hard. That's it's coming from them. So encouraging, right? And then I was like, oh, okay, I'm choosing the therapy pad. It was like, but you know, that's hard too. And I'm like, okay, you need to make up your mind. Like also keep your comments to yourself. I think the biggest challenge for me was identity in general. Uh, growing up under my dad's shadow as a famous singer. And it's like my name, every time I went to an event in Turlek or anywhere, it was like, oh, or even in Iran, it was like his daughter. I was like, his daughter has a name. And so I was always his daughter. So for a long time, I grew up being his daughter that I had no idea what I wanted to even study. I remember asking mom, hey mom, like, is there anything that I've shown interest, like vocalize? And she was like, I don't know, you don't talk. <laughs> I was like, well, um, there's no space for that. But I'm also like naturally grew up to be an introvert. So I'm, you know, just a, you know, was always a shy kid. But having besides just just my identity as a shy child but also being you know taking your your family's identity that they've given you that the society projected on you and then it was like you come to America you discover like this is what this is the label for the feelings you had in Iran as a child and now you have to label it for a long time I had a hard time even saying it out loud and then it's the fate that came to place for me. I was like, I, I can't do this. This is unacceptable. And it was like, while I'm having this awareness of myself, uh, the US for the first time, they were going through the whole Prop 8. So it was like all over the news. I remember my mom watching the news and she was like, they're gonna go straight to hell. And I'm going through over here, just confusion and trying to understand what the hell is going on. Oh, that you hear coming, they're gonna go straight to hell. And um, if this was my, you know, my daughter would do this. And I'm just, these are like just traumatizing comments I'm hearing. And I'm like, okay, well, this is like, I, there's no purpose for me to be here. And I was like, it's better, like Rhoda shared, it's better, like, I'll just going to get rid of this. So attempted suicide and luckily didn't go through. Um, but with, with that, after, afterwards, I started noticing ways that God showed up in my life the little things that happened you know being safe from this accident or something else that happened I was just I kept seeing God in everything that I did I was like okay well I'm not alone he does love me and when I accepted that nothing else mattered but I had to start with the root of my identity is who I am in general who Bernadette is getting to know her and then oh there's another level so her sexuality and then you know accepting that God loves her and and that's why I'm not shy away I don't shy away from speaking about my experiences especially like even coming to this podcast it is a risk I'm taking we're all probably taking but it's something I wanted to do because I had enough and I want to be able to be there for our Assyrian community especially I'm hearing all these good news like we're having our Assyrian alphabet keyboard um you know for like iphones like whatever devices and you know there is like the policy in congress like we're, we're recognizing our language so people are doing 
you know, different putting different words and recognizing us. And but and I felt responsible for doing my part in recognizing our community within the Syrian. So I think that's it. <laughs> I guess before we move on, I want to say stuff too. One thing that I never would have realized would have been connected to this was that I'm an addict and I'm in recovery. And uh, I also am diagnosed with depression and ADHD, and I take mental health medication. And it took me a while to learn what all that meant. I still am learning about what it means for me. And I too will echo that, yeah, when I came out, I was so confused and so sad and so isolated and so judged that I tried to take my life as well. And obviously it didn't work. And I am grateful that it didn't because I want to live today. But even after then, I did not want to be alive for a very long time. And I would drink and use drugs. And in the gay community and in the queer community at large, drugs are very available and they're they're very cool and for me it was a way to feel not weak especially against how weak I felt to everything that was going on and it led me down a path of like just a lot of crazy shit that I was masking pain for for you know what I mean uh one was dealing with depression uh, that I was medicating myself, but another was just not resolving because I didn't even know how to resolve the feelings that had built up and then became catalyzed by that event of coming out. And along that line uh, of life, I ideated uh, so suicide for years. I never tried, but I was very like, what's the word, like blasé with my life. And I didn't care if I was going to die. Uh, in fact, uh, I just wanted God to do it. You know, I would pray to God some mornings. I would wake up for years and pray that he would uh, He would just let me escape whatever this envelope is because I didn't want to be there. There was so much pain. And a lot of it was also because I had no connection with God anymore. And that was so important and integral to who I was growing up. And it was through getting sober and being an AA that I was able to reconnect with God and find what it was that I was connected to. Like, I mean, what I needed to see and feel with God. So for me, I'm in a place where I'm so grateful that those things happened. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. And actually, how would I, you know, like I've also reached that. It's like, how would I have it any other way? That was what I needed to go through to learn how to love myself and that I am supposed to be here on earth. And it's because I am living in God's world. And the story that I'm telling with my life may not ever be one that I can see or make out my usefulness. It extends way further than that. And that is what makes me know that I'm supposed to be here. And every time that I didn't, reach death because all the craziness that happened is even more proof that I'm supposed to be here. And 
I've just like also learned to stop asking for things from the Assyrian community because they'll never give it to me. And it's because I'm supposed to give stuff in other places. That's, that's what God wants me for. You know what I mean? Like sometimes in hearing and uh, I please, I want you to know this is in no way a judgment hearing grievances that some of you have, like, why can't they do that? I just want to say, stop asking. Like when somebody says that I don't want to give it to you, don't waste what's beautiful about you with them. Don't waste it. And you're so beautiful. Everything like, I don't know. I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to like overstep because everybody has their own journey, but like, and, and uh, you know, I'm just talking from my experience and that doesn't make me any less like mm -hmm. uh, encroaching on who you are. Like, mm -hmm. I understand I'm overstepping, but like you all are so beautiful. Don't give it to people who don't want it. They're not worth it. They're not worth it. You are a Syrian. You'll always be a Syrian. We are a Syrian together and it's smaller, way smaller than that community. Why? When God has given us this gift. It's like, that's what I always tell my parents till I was blue in the face. Why do you, why, why can't you listen? I can see more than you can. I can give you something you don't have. And, and then I learned, oh, I'm wasting my breath. You know, you guys will listen to me. And I already know, like, there's love amongst us. Why would I waste it on them? Yeah, I think at one point we all will get to that point where it's just like, I'm going to take my gifts, my love, my kindness, all of that, and give it where it need, they need it. And it's going to be welcomed and it's going to be taken, you know. Um, I, I understand what you're saying um, after many years of turning blue in the face even today to to this day I just got back from LA visiting family and friends and um it's just a breath of fresh air coming back home to St. Louis is because I just uh, I want to you know I, I came back and I, I remember telling my wife I'm like I just want to do something for the queer community here I don't care what country they're from but it's just we we need to take care of each other because I don't want to say no one else will, because there are people out there who are true allies, but um, we got to look out for each other. And um, I'm honestly, I'm just grateful not meeting any of you guys before this, except Bernadette, um, to be connected with y'all, whether you're in New York, LA, or Turlock, wherever, you know, um, I think my community just got a little bit bigger. Um, I was going to say the next time you come to LA to visit your family and you need an escape, uh, you have a friend in LA and a serious <laughs> friend to come and have a drink or, you know, have a coffee or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, you all have an Assyrian in New York because Lord knows I don't want to meet the other Assyrians here. <laughs> <laughs> you are gay. I dated an Assyrian guy when I lived in New York for a little bit. What was that like? It wasn't. It wasn't anything because he was a Syrian. It was that. It's beside the point. Never mind. I was saying. Different, different episode. <laughs> we will discuss that after I, I press um, unrecord. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think one thing I I want to say is that no, there's no like hate against the Syrian community or anything like that. It's just 
when we're not wanted somewhere, we're going to pick up and go somewhere else. And we're going to take our attention, our energy, our resources and go elsewhere where we're accepted. And if we're trying to keep this Syrian community whole and large, let's start here. Why not accept mm -hmm. the queer community? Why not be loving and kind and not see, you know, um, put value to people based on their identities, you know? That, and uh, that's something that I think the Syrian community is going to have to definitely work on and everyone for themselves. <laughs> also, just think... as a reminder to everybody, like the things that we grapple with are culturally bound to being first generation Assyrians. I have friends who have gone to the program called Gishru that goes to Iraq and they go to the north to the old homeland and time and time again, they tell me like Assyrians in the homeland are not like us. They're modern. They are different. They're not like us. Like our people get frozen in time when they come here. And then they like pick the most negative parts of it to enforce because they just gravitate towards it. It's easier to enforce that kind of negativity, but they're in a very like complete full image of what an Assyrian could be. They're different. Like, I don't know. I just want to like remind everybody like there there are I don't know. Well, I think the main generation of Syrian it's different here too. I mean, you know, this every every step away and every generation further on, we become more Americanized, and I I see that in my family. So, and I think that the main I feel like the main reason why. Like, it's great to talk about it. It's not, I mean, I have no hate towards Assyrians. I'm probably the number one person you can count on if there's a Khebnisan party, convention. I think I've flown out to two different states for their Khebnisan parties that I have no idea who these people are. And I've stayed there for like 10 hours in that state and flew back. Like, I'm very much so involved in the parties and the community. Um, yes, in the Turok community as well. I think that I think that it's very important for us to just enlighten every single person whether it will get to their brain or not. It's just super important for us to talk about it, make it normalize it in my opinion because in a way that people think that oh my god, what are they talking about? But if we're continually talking about it, making it normal, eventually the new generation will understand even our generation or some old generation will understand where we're coming from we're just normal people we have a lot to offer as yesh said love and kindness and all that stuff that any other person is offering to each and everyone i think we're ready for my favorite question the question is what is something you wish assyrians would be more aware about and is there something you want them to be more educated on regarding the queer community? It's not a lifestyle. Stop using that word. I absolutely hate that word. Do you think this is a lifestyle that I choose for myself? <laughs> being discriminated against, being cussed at, being saying, you know, like making comments. It's like, 
the and especially like I in general don't like attention so do you think I choose this quote-unquote lifestyle because I get attention I get people look at me I get people making comments I hear it just it's a lot it's not a lifestyle <laughs> that's one the second part is you know when when they talk about the religious community which is I feel like it's most of the Assyrians that I know they, it's like they talk about the sin making this it's a sin so is when you go go for like kava and chai the coffee and tea and the gathering and you guys start gossiping so is that the lying the cheating all of the other stuff but you won't you can't control that it's like the government won't come and say well you know two people that gossip cannot marry each other or two people that cheat cannot marry each other but oh two people that like the same sex they can marry so it's a sin it's a larger sin and for me it's always like i don't think anywhere in the bible is even this one is bigger than this one you shouldn't be doing this one this one's okay maybe and it's like to recognize that we we go through stuff we're looking at our family for like i said in the beginning for the unconditional love because and i've been putting myself in the closet to accommodate them to make them happy and I almost got rid of myself for that. So to recognize how deep is their words, the actions, everything that they do, how it affects us. It, some people I know have successfully went through the suicide, unfortunately. And some people like myself, we attempted and we didn't go through it, but it hurts us. And to kind of create, I mean, I know I'm asking for a lot here, but to you know have a space and, and educate yourself. My mother does that right now. I'm so proud of her. Like the things that she'll say, she's like, oh, I'm listening to this psychology podcast and this is what they said. And and it's like, she's like, well, you know, we, we have to live for, you know, for ourselves. And the, the comments she makes, I'm like, okay, this woman's in her 60s and early 60, <laughs> just in case she listens to this. Um, but I'm like, you're going through, you know, this this age and you still have the capacity to like educate yourself and like, let me try something new and be able to understand. But it's like enough is enough. You, you know, it, it does hurt. Maybe we're stronger because we went through a lot, but some people aren't. Your words does affect them and mental health does matter. And those people getting rid of themselves because of you is just not fair. And uh, yeah, it just, just, you know, like I said, I think I'll ask for much when I say, give us the space, educate yourself. If you don't understand it, it's okay. It took me a long time to accept myself. When I told my mom, I wasn't expecting for her to be okay in one day one, it took me 30 something years to be okay with it. I'm still part of me still, you know, adjusting to that. So there's always a, there was always space for that, but just give other people a chance, give other people, other human being chance and be kind. The Jesus that you love, if one day you're in front of him and he asks you, what did you do with the skills, the abilities and the gifts that I give you? What, what would you say? I encourage this person to hurt themselves or did I show them how to love and how to be kind and how to represent you? So that's my little two cents for the Syrian community. Yes. I, I just want to say um, there's not, we, we've talked a lot of things. I think one of the biggest things is I echo what Bernadette is saying also to educate yourselves on mental health 
And let's remove that taboo. It's unnecessary. It's a waste of time. Get to know it. I, I recommend everybody to be in therapy. Even if you got you feel like you got no problems, everyone should be in therapy. Um, secondly, as a, a Christian theologist of some sort, if, if my word means anything, um, I'm a person who is all about facts and truth. And I highly encourage folks who cling to the Bible as their um, guide or teach, you know, their faith um, base, do the research in the original texts of the Bible and understand that the word homosexuality did not exist in the Bible prior to the 1940s. And this is something that was brought in that was um, man-made and it was an error and it should not have happened. Um, the original text of homosexuality has always been in the Bible in reference to elder men who rape, unfortunately, trigger warning. I apologize for using the word rape, but elder men who rape young young men, minors. And I encourage people to look into that, to research it, pull out the original text of the Bible that we hold so dear and we stand by. And all this effort and energy that is put towards the queer community and fighting against it and trying to take away our rights or making us feel unwelcome or whatever it is, if you just take that energy and make it love and acceptance, you will make a huge difference in this world. And I guarantee for the folks who are very religious and hold their faith dear to their heart, then when we do come face to face with our maker, we will be said, he will tell us, you did well, you were a faithful servant. I don't think that God or Christ would be proud to stand next to us as we spew hate towards anyone. And especially if it's incorrect. And I'm not saying that because I'm queer and I'm trying to justify it. I had to do years of research and to come to the point that I'm comfortable to say that I am queer and I am a Christian and I'm an Assyrian. And I will own all three of those identities and I'm not gonna let anyone take that away from me. So. I just encourage folks, especially especially in this Syrian community where we hold our faith at a very high standard, do your research when it comes to scripture. Really understand it for what it is. Look at the context, culture, all of it. And more importantly, it's not gonna hurt you to love people, even if you don't understand them. It doesn't hurt to love people. Um, I think more than anything, it will surprise you. Um, we're Assyrian, we're proud to be Assyrians, but we're also proud to be queer. And that's not going to change anytime soon. So it's better for to, you know, get on board quickly. And I really hope our experiences opens the door for more Assyrians to step up and live your truth. Absolutely. Um, and I think that what you said, listen, to me, that's what I would, that's the biggest thing I want to throw out there is just listen. I mean, Obviously, there we all have our own groups of friends or best friend that we spill our heart out or whatever. But more so, I'm saying listen to the type of people we are. We're not bad people. We 
we want to show kindness. We want to show love. We are just like any other person. We want, you know, to get married. We want to have kids. Like all those things that a normal, you know, couple or normal person does, quote unquote. That's what I'm just saying is just listen, listen, love, um, be there for, you know, if someone's in your family that's gay or someone in your friend group that's gay and doesn't know where to begin, listen to them, ask, just be there for them. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought about how, you know, Jesus went to tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers and sort of the fringe aspects of society. And I think that that happened because when you've been through that kind of adversity, you have a a new sense of identity that you've built for yourself and that you found your joy and that you've you've validated your worth and, and we're all working on that. And I think when you don't think that you've ever, I don't wanna use the, I mean, if you don't think your shit doesn't stink, forgive the expression, you're not going to get anywhere because you don't think you have any growth. And when, you, when you've been through adversity and when you've been, you know, down and out, you have greater capacity for joy, I think, at the end of the day. And I, I do think that that's part of the, the Jesus story. And um, I think to discount a community of people who have the capacity to love greater than they started with, you know, through, through their lives, they've learned how to expand their concept of love and expand their concept of community. It would be foolish to cast those people out because they've got the, the word of God in them. You know, don't be the Pharisees and, uh, and cast us all out. We, we are the, the children of God. We are the future of the kingdom. So, and there's not that I'll, I was thinking about this as well as a, you know, again, not being as, in the Assyrian community, I'm always like, there's not that many of us left. I mean, you know, as a community in the past, you know, my grandparents came here during the Armenian Assyrian genocides in 1918. And then, you know, the more recent past 20 years have been a huge exodus. I just think that to to cast out one of your own is so, so foolish. I mean, just on that level alone, um, we should be bonding together and supporting each other and celebrating our culture and spreading our culture. And so to tell anyone in our community, go away, to me is is fundamentally it wrong and, and not beneficial for the community thriving. I agree. Well said. You know, going based off of what everybody was saying and where Chris was uh what Chris was saying, you know, as Assyrians we like we should be one, you know. Just because, you know, we're a part of the Assyrian community, the LGBTQ community, we're not different. We're still children of God, you know, and if you people have people in their life that are gay, trans, you know, create a safe place for them. Like, make them feel wanted. That was something I was struggling with is, you know, want, feeling wanted, feeling safe, talking about who I was. And if I had, like, I have friends that are so scared to come out because they don't feel wanted. They don't feel safe, especially being in an Assyrian community. And it's like, that's what I want the Assyrian community to kind of like be open-minded to is to be a little bit more understanding where people are coming from and be a little bit open and make them feel wanted, make them feel loved and safe and not out like make them feel like they're the black sheep of the community. Just make them feel more accepted. Uh, I am struggling with this question. 
because I feel like anything I ask will never be answered. So it feels futile to ask it. I could well wish it or want it to or like hope in my heart of hearts, but I have no faith. I've kind of lost that. I've had to find my own life and I'm happy there, but I have no more faith in that you will change. I will say this to the Assyrian community, the standard one, right? You're the reason why we're dying out. You are exclusionary and you think that by just knocking out a few people that uh, somehow you're making it cleaner or pure. Um, I remember I, I was watching this like video, this song that someone was singing on Assyrian love songs. It's an Instagram account you can follow and they post a bunch of stuff. And it was just like so low key, like just said like nothing and normalized. This guy was singing and he was like, you know how they do that thing, you know how that, and then he goes, which means you're beautiful well he said i will not forget you and then he was like which means like you're beautiful and then he goes and he says your blood is pure and then just keeps singing what like is is an assyrian not an assyrian if you can't claim both their parents are assyrian that's just okay your blood's not pure. Let's sing that. We had to change those things. You know, you like Assyrians, all I hear is whimpering and whining about how we're dying out or uh, no one's doing anything. And then you turn around and you praise songs like your blood is pure. You are the reason why we're dying out. It's in your hands. Just know you're responsible for the end of your own culture. There are so many other diverse ways we can tackle this, but uh, this is the one we choose. So I don't really have anything to ask. <laughs> I'm just still very like in awe of this whole thing that uh, Assyrians are. I'm happy with the community that I forged and have, and I reach out to you and tell you you're not struggling on your own. Uh, but for more Assyrians, Good luck. And with that, um, no, I I just wanted to say one thing to not turn off everyone from, I think we all have been hurt very deeply, whether it's the Syrian community, the church community, whatever. The important thing at the end of the day, I think, is for us to be able to live our authentic selves, just like anyone else who's listening right now. Every one of us wants to be just our real self. And that's the point here, is that we we love being a Syrian. And um, someone like me, you know, I've packed up and moved away from the community. But at the end of the day, I think the goal for me, at least, is to save one more life, to be able to have that community, to be able to talk, to be open and free, um, and someone that might understand what they're going through, you know, someone that I wish I had when I was going through the rough times that I did. Um, and so I would love to be that for anyone. I don't want to speak on behalf of anybody else um, on this recording, but um, it's all about saving a life. I think I think more than anything, that's, um, that's where our intentions are, at least mine. But thank you, Matthew, for 
making this happen. Yeah, I think I think as you said, I love being an Assyrian. I think that's the first thing I tell people when I meet them, and I tell them how amazing our food is and our culture is, and the reason I was striving and dying to talk about this is to take it out of under the rug we sweep we've swept it so much under the rug and we've hidden this this topic of the queers or in the Syrian community that as you guys say we have to mask up when we go into parties we have to shield up we have to hide who we are and I think that's what um, we're all trying to get at is we're trying to help and save and and reach out and for people to reach out to us, whether they're angry, whether they have comments, whether they need help, that they're struggling, whatever it may be, that's the reason for this ep- for this one episode. I think that it's super important for us to talk about it, to advocate for it, to scream it out loud and to celebrate it. So other people that are going through what we've gone through and what each and every one of you has experienced, good or bad, um, for everyone to experience that with a helping hand. So I th- I appreciate and applaud each and every one of you for joining me today and taking a chance, taking a risk, opening that door and leaving it open for other generations, other people, people your age that you may know that you don't know what they're going through with their sexuality, with what they're going through behind closed doors. And I applaud you and I thank you. And I'm sure that people are going to thank you as well for doing this, for taking a step into the direction that I'm sure they're wanting to. Uh, I just want to be clear. I love being a Syrian. Everyone who knows me knows that I love being a Syrian. And uh, of I course you do. On... You speak Assyrian better I than any on... of us here. You <laughs> also teach. Facts. I teach Assyrian. If you guys Syrian? want to yes. Yeah. yes. I'll teach you Assyrian. I'll teach you how to say gay in Assyrian. Although there's like sort of a way. It's like, it's like, oh God. I think it's like, it comes from, I know it comes from the root to, uh, to know knowledge because it's like, anyway, it's like Chakim or something like that. Uh, hmm. It's not the word that they use, is just out of hatred, means from the others. Yeah. Uh, but there are actually words. There's even like slang words uh, in Iraq that they use. But just to be clear, I love being a Syrian. I would love to revolutionize and change who we are so that we can survive. 8,000 more years. Yeah, that's what I want. I hate small minded people who exist in every culture. And it feels like to me sometimes that they are holding the reins to this one. And it makes me so sad to know that it may be ending soon because of that. But I love being a Syrian. I love my lineage. I know my great grandparents for at least 400 years. And I love, love, love that our history extends to the invention of society and civilization, of writing, of the wheel, of a battery. Did you know that batteries were invented by Assyrians and Babylonians? Did you know that? 5,000 years ago, they found clay pots with copper rods and grape juice, and they could still derive energy from them. Aqueducts were invented by them, by our people. But when we only just have a small-minded view that goes back to not even real knowledge, it dies. 
Yeah. So that's what I want. Um, yes, you're gonna have to teach my wife and I a certain because my wife. I would love to. I would right. absolutely. We could start from the basics. Good old alibi. And on top of it, I do a little like, do you know that there are three different alphabets and why we have three? Do you know why our Alep looks the way it does? But when you look at old Assyrian, Estrangili, it looks funny. And then I can show you through time, like with texts of the Bible, how it shifted. It started to move upwards. And that's why we write it the way we do. It's because like the old letter started to fall. And where that comes from and why we say things that Arabs say or, or uh, Hebrew speakers say, like, it's all about connection for me. I'd love to. Well, yeah, definitely. Um, I absolutely applaud every one of you and thank you so much again. Um, it truly means a lot that this finally got out of the books, the notes, the ideas, the text messages, all that fun stuff that has taken a while. Yes, wave that flag very, very high. Chris. I'm sorry, this um, doesn't have to, this is not a uh, all-inclusive modern flag with the trans. Yeah, that's why I didn't recognize it. So Matthew, that's really interesting. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast. Would you like to connect with any of the panelists on the show? Check our show notes for all of their contact information. Share this episode and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. And if you know anyone else who should be on the Assyrian podcast, don't hesitate to fill out the nomination form on our website. Until next time, Pusham Shana, everyone. <laughs>